Well, take your Bible tonight and go to Mark chapter 1. We're still in Mark chapter 1. Um, and going through the Gospel of Mark, we are uh, we have talked about this first part of Mark, how Jesus came. And He came to His baptism, we saw. He came to His baptism identifying Himself with men. Jesus Christ came and he came to God in his anointing, we saw, following his baptism. And Jesus Christ came to Satan and to the demons in temptation. And yet he conquered them and it in his temptation. And tonight we're going to talk about Jesus came into Galilee and he came for this purpose. For this purpose came I forth. We're going to hit a few things here tonight, Lord willing. But uh, take your Bibles and let's begin reading a passage here. And uh, then we'll go back and do a little review of something that has to do with the Lord's Supper, the, the communion, and then we'll go into this passage. But um, pick it up at verse 35, Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 35. The Bible says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he, that is Jesus, went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, all men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and he cast out devils. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I love these next two words, I will, I will, be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, that is, Jesus charged the leper, and forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. And he went out, and he began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. And if we have time tonight, which I'm not sure we will, we're going to go into chapter 2, into the next account, um, which I believe kind of goes back to back with this account. Let me make this point real quick. You know, when these books were written, the chapter divisions weren't there. You know that, right? Uh, we put those in later on. Down the road, uh, God's people put, put chapter divisions and verse numbers and all of that. But sometimes the chapter divisions help us. But sometimes they can actually hinder us a little bit in that we maybe there's a connection to something that's coming up in the next chapter that sometimes we our brain just kind of boop cuts it off at the end of a chapter, and I kind of believe that the next story goes with this story, and we may get to that tonight. We'll see. Why don't we have a word of prayer, and then we'll go back and look at some of these things. Lord, we thank you for this gospel, this account that you allowed Mark to put down for us so that we may see and go along with Mark as he helps us to follow the servant son of God and see who Jesus is and what he's like and how he worked and what happened and and Lord, it just all applies to us today. God, we thank you for the Lord's table for communion that we'll be taking here in just a minute. God, what it means to us. 
And Lord, I pray that you'll help us tonight to see the things you would have us to see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the first part of chapter 1, led us into this passage, of course, where we started reading in verse 35. We saw all those things that I mentioned a minute ago. We saw in this uh, chapter of Mark how that Jesus came into Galilee. He Let me put our map back up here just to remind us where Galilee is there at the top of Israel, Judea being in the blue below it. Um, Jesus came into Galilee coming to men as the servant Son of God, as our title says, coming to defeat and to cast out the demons and the evil spirits that had ravaged the lives of men and women, coming into Galilee into quiet communion and prayer with his Father, as we read there just a moment ago, picked it up in verse 35. There's a picture of Galilee. Um, Some of you have been to Israel, and you've seen some of these things firsthand. I've never been there. I'd love to go there someday, but... um, that's a beautiful picture, isn't it, of the sea, a part of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where we're talking about on our map here. Right there at the top, you see the little blue spot right at the very top. That's the Sea of Galilee where Jesus, most of his ministry takes place around that Sea of Galilee, in those towns, in those areas, ministering, doing these things that we're reading about here in these passages. And Jesus begins to choose his 12 disciples. We see this. Let's back up there for a moment to verse 14, that, and we saw where John was put into prison, and Jesus came into this Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, that very same Sea of Galilee in that picture, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers, they're fishermen. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become what? Fishers of men. We all are familiar with that phrase, and familiar with those songs we sang as children. I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, if you what? Follow me. And that's exactly what he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Here's a picture of a boat with fishermen, maybe what it would have looked like out in the Sea of Galilee at that time. Jesus is calling after these men, come and follow me, and I'm going to make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets, verse 18, and they followed him. And verse 19 says, when they had gone a little farther from there, they saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship, mending their nets, and straightway he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants, and they went after him. We're backing up because I wanted to make this point again tonight, especially as we have the Lord's table here in just a little bit, that this is still the mission for the church of God today, for the followers of Jesus, those who call Jesus my Lord, as we just sang about, Jesus' wonderful Lord. Those who call Jesus Master, this is still our mission. Jesus is still saying, come and follow me. And I will make you to become fishers of men. When we're born again, we become disciples of Jesus. Just like those disciples became disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus Christ. And again, Jesus Christ says, come follow me. And I will cause you, I will make you to become fishers of men. A disciple is someone who is 
self-consciously under the authority of Jesus Christ, intending to live life in the way he instructs his disciples to live. That's not my own, but let me read that to you again. And think about that in your own heart and in your own mind. Children, I'm challenging you tonight to do the same thing. Young people, teenagers, men and women, let me read this again. Are you a true disciple of Jesus tonight? We all want to be, amen? We all would say if someone were to come to our door and ask us, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? We would all say, well, yes, I am. Well, think about this phrase again. A disciple is someone who is self-consciously under the authority of Jesus Christ, intending to live life in the way that he instructs his disciples to live. Is that true about your life every day? 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We want it to be, don't we? A true disciple of Jesus. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, then you will be a fisher of men. That will be on your heart. That will be a goal that we have. Jesus told his disciples, I will make you fishers of men. And he has been calling out his church all these years to be fishers of men. He wants his followers to leave their own worldly goals, just like Peter had to do and James and John and Andrew, their worldly aspirations and come follow him. Jesus says, I have something greater for you to do than catch mere fish, though that's important than just living for the weekend, than just living for retirement. True discipleship of this same Jesus. The only true resolution to the problems of this world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why Jesus is calling his people all the time to throw the net out. Throw the net out. Catch the fish. Find the fish. Bring them in. The gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, one of the members of the quartet, we were over lunch, he was uh, speaking of when he came to Christ as 20-some-year-old, 26, 27-year-old young man. And he spoke of how he finally came to Jesus Christ because, specifically, because of the consistent testimony of his parents. Isn't that neat? His dad and his mom had a consistent, godly, not perfect, but a consistent testimony before their children And it wasn't until this man was 27 years old or so that he finally, because of that, he gave credit to, came to Jesus Christ as a Savior. He gave testimony that once he trusted Christ, he was right with his father again, made that relationship right again. You know, it's the gospel that resolves problems. It's the gospel of Jesus that's the only resolution. We know that. We have that message. We're to go into this world and proclaim the the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the gospel is proclaimed in various ways. Um, somebody put it this way, and I thought this was very good. The gospel is proclaimed by word, and it is proclaimed by work. The gospel is proclaimed by word, and it is proclaimed by work. And these two things go together. Do we see that in the life of Jesus? We sure do. We just read a passage here a minute ago where Jesus is not only giving the gospel by word, preaching, But he is also giving the gospel by work and doing good things for other people and healing. By word and by work. An evangelist goes out and preaches the message. And amen to that. How we need evangelists. I pray to God we'll raise up evangelists out of Valley Baptist Church. 
I pray to God, young people will get on fire for the Lord and become missionaries and go out and proclaim with their mouth in a pulpit, maybe on a street corner, where in a hut somewhere, the gospel of Jesus Christ by word. We all are missionaries to go out by word in our workplace, in our circle of influence, and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have never heard. Disciples speak the gospel. There are other ways as well. A disciple's entire life should be a testimony to the results of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Discipleship is the whole thing. Our entire life should be a testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me give you an illustration. True worshiping churches. Y'all know of any good true worshiping churches tonight? Well, I hope you're sitting in one. You, you are, I think. Is a testimony, is a proclamation of the gospel. A true worshiping church, a community of believers, is another way of being fishers of men in a community. Of course, we have every service, our pastor or somebody, a guest, stands in this pulpit and proclaims the gospel. Amen? And we need that. We, we need the, the pastors, we need the missionaries, we need the evangelists to come and proclaim the gospel in the church. Amen? But do you know that's not the only way that the gospel is proclaimed in a church like this? You know, just us coming together in a true worshiping church is a proclamation of the gospel. And God can use that to bring people to Christ. God can use that. Let me give you an example of this that's going to hit home tonight. When children, many, many years ago in Israel, came out of Egypt with their parents, the Lord instituted something that was an ordinance for them to observe on a regular basis. And it was called, of course, the Passover. We all know what the Passover is, at least to a point. We all are familiar with it. And this was something that God instituted, uh, very strongly instituted, that they were supposed to command, he commanded they were supposed to keep. This was to show forth that the Lord, Jehovah God, had passed over the houses of Israel back there in Egypt. The blood of the Lamb, all of that was to teach. It was to show something forth. It was to make a proclamation. How did it do that? Well, let me, let me give you an example of how it did that. Hey, Dad, why do we do this all the time? Well, every year we do this, Dad. We kill the lamb. We, we, we shed its blood. Dad, we have the, the unleavened bread. Dad, we, why do we do that? Isn't that a good question? And what does that father have opportunity to do? Share the truth. Show forth why they're doing it. And it was passed on that way from generation to generation. A proselyte comes in to the Jewish faith. Why do you have this ordinance? Why do you have this passage? Why do you opportunity to share forth the truth? So that is what the Lord did. He wanted them to remember it, to show forth the Passover. The father would teach the children or the mother would teach the children. And that was God's intention. The Jews would use it to teach. Question, do we have anything today in the church of Jesus Christ similar to this? Why, we're getting ready to partake of it here just a little bit. When we take the Lord's Supper, what does the Scripture say? For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show 
What? What, what, what are we showing? You do show the Lord's death till he come. That's Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. The Jews, when Paul said that, they would have understood exactly the parallel. They would have understood completely. He was referring and, and, and making this synonymous with the Passover. You show forth the Lord's death till he come. Same terminology is used. When we partake of the ordinance that the Lord instituted, the Lord's Supper or the communion, we are partaking of the same thing that the Jews did in the Passover meal. Let me say that again. Same thing. You say the same thing. How could it be the same thing? It is the same thing. Let me, let me explain. Christ was the Passover lamb. Amen? Amen? Jesus Christ was the Passover lamb. Has come. He is the Passover lamb slain for us. He was executed on the cross at the same time as Passover. Coincidence? Ding. Can you imagine? I just love to think about how Jews, the lights just started coming on after it was all said and done. Not all of them, but many of them. Passover. Passover. He is slaughtered. He is, the lamb went to the cross. Folks, there's so much evidence for Christianity. It's amazing. Jesus Christ was executed on the cross at the same time as the Passover. The blood of the lamb, where was that sprinkled? On the doorpost, right? on those wooden doorposts where the death angel was going to pass over whoever was safe inside that one door that the blood was sprinkled on. (laughs) What's that all about? Jesus Christ's blood was sprinkled, spread on wooden cross, just like that doorpost. And the only safe place to be is through that door. What did Jesus say? I am the door. I am the door. When we take partake of this Lord's Supper and this communion, it's the same thing. The only doorway that can escape the wrath of God. The wrath of God came through Egypt terribly and killed every firstborn of every home who did not have the blood applied on those doorposts. And those people today, if you're sitting in this room today and you are not safe in the cross of Jesus Christ, What is it that you have to be saved from? People say, my sin. Well, that's partly true, but that's not fully true. You have to be saved from that very same death angel. You have to be saved from the wrath of an almighty God. It's God's wrath that is coming for you. You say, why would God's wrath be coming for me? I'm a pretty good person. I've never killed anybody. I've never stolen anything. I've never, I've never, I've never. And that's just the lie Satan wants us to believe, isn't it? We compare ourselves with others and we come up pretty good. But when we compare ourselves with a holy, righteous God, we come up really short. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wrath, the same wrath that came through Egypt, terrible wrath, is coming on your sins. It has to be paid for. You say, can't God just look over those sins? Can't he just be gracious and kind? No, he cannot. You know why? Because he's so good. Well, how could a good God do that? Well, we have a total misunderstanding of goodness, don't we? God is so good, he's a perfect judge. A perfect, complete judge that has to have righteousness every single time. So my sins can't be gotten away with, they have to be paid for. What am I going to do? Aren't you thankful for the blood 
on that cross where we can go through that door, just like those families in Egypt, safe, safe. Wrath of God passes by. When we partake of this communion a little bit, we ought to be thanking God, thanking God for that blood that's been provided. Are you a sinner tonight? Are you a sinner? What have you done this week? I'm looking in the mirror while I'm looking at you. Man, we're wicked sinners, aren't we? How can we not appreciate? How can we get so used? How can Steve Hall get so used to these things? Thank God for the blood of Jesus. So, the Bible says, and let me put this verse, well, I I forgot to put my cross up there. The cross brought these two things together. One was pointing to the cross. The other is looking back at the cross. It's all about the cross. It's all about Jesus. It's all about His blood. Jesus also instituted the Lord's Supper at the Passover meal. Remember that? That's where this was instituted. They were partaking of the Passover meal up in the upper room when Jesus instituted this. It's all changed. He instituted the past, He instituted the Lord's Supper with His disciples. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show. And that word show is interesting. You know what it means? Preach. Almost every other time it's translated in the Bible, it's show a few times, but almost every other time it's proclaim or preach. Teach. Declare. What? The Lord's death till he come. The Lord's death till he come. A little bit ago, one of my little girls was all excited. Hey, we're having communion tonight. That's when we have the bread and the juice and all that, the cup. And I stopped and I said, yeah, do you know what that means? Oh, no. I didn't have time to explain it to her. Sure, she's right there. I didn't have time to explain it to her earlier, but I said, you listen tonight. We're going to talk about it a little bit, and then maybe after church we'll discuss it some more. You know, it's the same thing they were doing with the Passover. Same opportunity. Same thing. Why do you all take communion? Do you all have the Lord's Supper at your church? By the way, we have open communion here at our church. I don't know why anybody would want to close it to God's people. It's open to all who have come to faith in Christ, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This is how we proclaim the gospel. This is just one way that we, as tonight, in a sense, we are coming to Jesus Christ. We are doing what he said, obeying his command. And in one way, that is being a fisher of men, proclaiming the gospel in our community, in our church, together as a church family. As disciples of Christ, our whole lives are to be one big sermon, showing forth the true gospel of Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, where we picked up our reading a minute ago, let's jump over there now. Jesus has called his disciples. Jesus has called his fishers of men. And he has gone through this first account, that this first day that we saw in our last message, uh, an amazing day, where he began in the synagogue and the man with the demon and then going to Peter's house and healing his mother-in-law and then all the people coming to him that night. And then Jesus ends up, we see in verse 35, early in the morning, praying, praying. Jesus, the servant, son of God, let me pass on by here a couple of things I was going to talk about. Just for sake of time, we'll move on. Jesus, the servant, son of God, is our pattern as disciples of Jesus going into this world with the gospel. 
Jesus is always our example. He's always our pattern. And in verse 35, once again, we see, number one, Jesus praying. Jesus is praying. We see Jesus in the morning rising up a great while before day. He went out and departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. We see Jesus in prayer with the Father. Jesus' quiet time with the Father is interrupted by Simon, Simon Peter, and his other disciples. Verse 36 The language indicates that they are diligently pursuing him. It says, and Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And again, the idea there is that they're diligently looking for him. They get up, he's not there. Jesus got up, it said, while it was yet dark, everybody else was sleeping and he snuck out and he went out into a desert place by himself and he prayed. And they get up and they're looking for him. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? And they go out searching, looking. When they find him, by the way, It's always wise to seek out the Savior. It's always wise to seek out the Savior. Have you ever been in a situation, maybe you sinned, maybe something happened, where'd he go? Where'd I go? Jesus isn't with me. Well, he's always with us, isn't he? But sin does separate us from God. Have you ever had that burdening you down? You know what I'm talking about? As God's people, we, are, we, we relate, don't we? We relate in that. God, you're far from me. You're far from me. Oh, let's go find him. Where's he at? Where did he go? You know, we can apply that to ourselves, can't we? Jesus isn't far. If someone left, it was actually us in those situations. But it's always wise to seek out the Savior, to find out his path, to find out his ways, his knowledge, to be constantly in fellowship with him. And the Father. That's what walking in the light is all about. Constantly in fellowship with Christ. And then when we find ourselves out of fellowship, diligently pursuing Him until all is restored. By the way, that's partly the reason for taking the Lord's Supper. Communion. Right? It's a wonderful time to come back to Christ. (laughs) It's a wonderful time to ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins. God gave us some fearful things there, didn't he? In some of those passages about partaking unworthily. This is a great time tonight. If there's something in your life, something's been going on that you know you shouldn't be involved in, things that God's been putting his finger on your heart, maybe in your family, tonight, surrender it. Surrender it. Use this table tonight, this communion service tonight, as an opportunity to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Give me a bath tonight, spiritual bath. Cleanse me. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the body shed for me. Here's Jesus praying. Verse 37, when they found him, finally they said, Jesus, all men are seeking for thee. You know they still are? They don't know it. They still are. They're trying to find peace. They're trying to find wholeness and purpose in life and contentment. They can't find it anywhere. Again, this afternoon, we were talking to one of the guys in the group um, who'd been involved in some things with, I don't know if it was Hollywood or some of these people who are so wealthy and so, um, they have everything. And the, the testimony is always the same, isn't it? Miserable. Miserable. They think, Satan says, I think he put it this way, Satan says, you know, come and bow down before me and I'll give you all these things. I'll give you all these things. And sometimes he actually does. And we find out that just leave us empty, empty, empty. 
All men seek for thee. After that amazing Sabbath in Capernaum and events that followed, all that teaching Jesus did with authority and the healing and the casting out of demons in the synagogue, healing Peter's mother-in-law, healing the sick that were brought to him, healing those possessed with demons, the effect was great. The people were looking for him. And the Lord's answer in verse 38 is interesting. He said unto them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. Let us go into the next towns, for therefore came I forth. Before we hit that, you know, when we're in prayer and fellowship with God, it prepares us to serve, doesn't it? Have you found that out true in your life? When I'm not in fellowship, maybe a day got busy, I'm running, I'm not thinking about God as our pastor preached this morning. God's not in all my thoughts today. You know, that's not probably going to be a day I'm going to be a great servant of the Lord. I may be trying to get a whole lot of stuff done. I've got a calendar. I've got things to accomplish. But we can't afford not to do that right there. Come before our Lord in prayer and get our hearts right with God. That begins true service when we're in prayer and fellowship with God. It prepares us to serve. It puts us in a right spirit, in a right attitude for fellowship and for ministry with men and with women and boys and girls. The disciples' statement, all seek for thee. Was Jesus, when he looked up and they said that and they came running over to him, was he perturbed? Was he angry? Guys, I'm trying to have a quiet time. Good night, I've been working hard. No, not at all wasn't met with that at all. Jesus Christ, and again, I know we're talking about Jesus, right? The God-man. But we must remember, He was a man. The God-man, but yet our greatest example. Our greatest illustration. Jesus, though he, though His quietness had been interrupted, He was not frustrated. By the way, too, you know, being alone with God is never selfish. Being alone with God is never selfish. Why, it's actually the opposite. It's giving God the glory and preparing us for ministry. When I'm not right with the Father, I'm not truly ministering to others. Selfishness is avoiding taking my quiet time with God in order to be a ministry. Well, Jesus prays, and then number two, we see Jesus' perspective in that verse, in verse 38 that we just read. His response to them when they interrupted his prayer was, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. Now that word towns right there occurs one time in the Scriptures, and it's right here in this verse in the New Testament. The next, what it means is, Village towns or unwalled communities. It has the idea of small towns or perhaps country towns. The references to the smaller towns that were not walled around, small areas of populations with a synagogue. He sought to go to other towns, other country towns. He had come to Capernaum and began his ministry there, but he would not stay there only. Not just in the metropolis only, but into those towns and villages scattered throughout Galilee, casting that net of the gospel, going into all the world, at least that he was 
going into before he sent his disciples out in the book of Acts. Into the unwalled villages, Bethsaida, Chorazin, Dalmanutha, Magdala, into those places. You know, our Lord's work in the country towns was just as vital as in the booming metropolis. Just as important. We have churches today, praise God, preaching the gospel in New York City. What a ministry that would be, wouldn't it? God may call somebody in this church to go to New York City or Portland, Oregon. My goodness, do we need people there proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ? What about in Stewart's Draft? What about in the other week we talked about Podoc Hollow? Do we need churches there too? And they're vital. They're vital. Every ministry of God, Jesus went into the next towns, said we must go there as well and preach the gospel. They're all crucial. Are we willing? And that's the question here. Are we willing to go wherever the Master leads us? To preach the gospel wherever He leads us as disciples of Christ? The Sabbath in Capernaum prepared the way to open the doors for the wider ministry, the Sabbath that Jesus did His work. All these people were now coming. The word was spreading throughout the region. And number three, we see Jesus is praying. We see Jesus' perspective. And now we see Jesus preaching. A very brief account in verse 39. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Jesus is preaching in Galilee, casting out demons, always ministering again, as we mentioned a minute ago, by word and by work. By word and by work. When we pray, as Jesus did, it gives us the proper perspective, as Jesus had, in service for our Lord, and it leads us into proper preaching ministry or work ministry of the gospel. I want to take just a minute. I know we need to be done. But that phrase... For this purpose came I forth, or for therefore came I forth, or to this end came I forth. We see here the servant son of God that we're talking about in the book of Mark. Came I forth. It's right there in verse 38 again. Let's read it. And he said unto them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach therefore also, for therefore came I forth. Of course, that's not meaning from Capernaum or even out of Nazareth. What Jesus is saying here is, I came forth from God. This is why I came forth from God. Stripped, someone said, stripped of his dignities. Yet constantly there are gleams of glory flaming forth, reminding us that he is also the Son of God. He is the servant of God, but he is also the Son of God. He has come forth out from God. He is the self-emptied one. All of this can apply to us. You know, God wants us to empty ourselves of ourselves and be self-emptied disciples of Jesus Christ as well. But this is why he came forth, the divine one in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth bodily. That's Colossians 2.9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus came forth from God. He came from God. In John, Jesus says, I came forth and I am come from God. He says in the book of John, I came out from the Father and I am come into the world. 
The demons knew who he was. I know thee, remember the demons said, who thou art, the Holy One of God. They knew who he was. The self-emptied one was God, yet man. How can we understand these things fully? He had the same abilities when he was here, a fellowship with God the Father during his human life on earth that we have. He had fellowship with the Father like we will never understand. And yet he left all of that, came here, and had fellowship with the Father the same kind we can have with the Father. In prayers, we saw him a minute ago. Left behind all the glories and riches and the relations he had to God. And while on this earth, he displays the power of his deity, the powers of God Almighty. But somebody pointed this out, and what an illustration again for us. It's never on his own behalf. Always the servant, the servant, the servant, Son of God. Always on the behalf of others. And what's illustrated greatly in the last part that we read there of this passage of the healing of the leper. So let's look at that quickly and this will be the end and we'll close this down. In verse 40, there came to him a leper. Of course, leprosy in the Bible is a picture of sin, isn't it? It came to him a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying to him, If thou wilt... Thou canst make me clean. Quickly, this takes place at the foot of the mountain where Jesus gave that Sermon on the Mount. Mark gives this account, boom, 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 as we talked about before. In between verses 38, 39, and 40, there's the whole Sermon on the Mount that we get in the book of John. We don't have it recorded in this book. But as all these people came to Jesus, as they were flocking to him from all over the place, there came this leper. Immediately, Jesus was moved, the Bible says in verse 41, with compassion. Now, understand the situation here. This leprosy was very likely a, well, leprosy in that time was always a hopeless situation. Completely hopeless situation. The stage of this leprosy is probably the case where If you go back to Leviticus 13 and 14, instructions were given to the people of God to distinguish between, first of all, false leprosy and true leprosy. Somebody could have had something that wasn't actually leprosy, maybe it went away. And they would go, they were clean, whatever, the, 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 the priest would say, you're clean. Another reason was that if you had leprosy, you could come to the point that the leprosy was in its last stage. The Bible talks about the whiteness, if you go back to Leviticus. And when that happens, the leprosy is no longer contagious. So, when that took place, the leper was then allowed for the last little bit of his life, or her life, to come back into the population, to come back to their family, to go back to their home. And they would have to go to the priest and see if they were, in that sense, clean. Which simply meant no contagion. But now you can at least come back into fellowship with your family until you die. Completely hopeless situation. It's believed, of course, that that's the situation here because this leper's mixed in with the crowd right there with Jesus. Of course, obviously, even if he's not contagious, he's going to be abhorred by the people or she is. I almost put a picture of it on the screen. This disease of leprosy, it's hard for us to put it in our minds. Hold the horror of leprosy. 
I didn't do it because I don't want anybody sick tonight. We have little children in here. It's horrid, horrid. Here's this person in the crowd. It comes up to Jesus. And you can hear that voice. Lord Jesus, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. The people are needing that today. Full of leprosy, full of sin. This man's condition, he's with Christ. He came close to Christ, completely corrupted. No hope in himself. Absolutely no value to society. And Jesus, praise the Lord, is moved with compassion. And there's no sign... In verses 40 and 41, that Jesus had disgust or loathing or hatred or recoiled at this man. What did Jesus do? Verse 41, and Jesus moved with compassion. Now think of it. Put forth his what? Hand and touched him. Touched him. And saith unto him, I will. Jesus went toward him, laid his hands on him, and this man completely restored. Jesus says, I will. Be thou clean. And his leprosy was healed. It's the same for us tonight. Maybe there's someone sitting here tonight, and you're full of leprosy. You know, you can cry out to Jesus tonight the same way. There's people tonight all over this county, in this world, And they're eaten up with sin. Same condition spiritually as this man. Jesus Christ reaches his hands out. When we call unto him, us Christians can get pretty sinful, can't we? We can be forgiven of that sin by that same Jesus. Tonight as we come before the communion table, let's remember these things. Let's thank God that when we called out to Jesus, when we cried out to Jesus, Lord Jesus, cleanse me, help me. That he said, I will. Did he say that to you? I will. Can he cleanse you by his blood, by his body, his broken body on the cross? Let's thank him tonight for that. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can call on him this evening. Wouldn't a night of communion be a wonderful night? Call on the Savior. Put your faith and trust in this same Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us tonight. Thank you for this table that we will gather around. Lord, thank you for what it proclaims. Thank you, Lord, for the servant Son of God. Lord, we pray that you will be glorified tonight, that we will remember these truths that are so dear to us. Lord, thank you for the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for touching us. Lord, I pray tonight that even now as I'm praying or in the quietness of the communion service, or maybe tonight after the service, that, Lord, if there's anyone here tonight, and they're lost, they're not safe behind the blood-sprinkled door, Lord, I pray that they'll call out to Jesus tonight, put their faith and trust in Him and the blood He shed for their sins. God, help us when we leave tonight to take it with us, this message, and to be fishers of men. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.